Christmas movie house. Welcome to DC Screens, the podcast where we watch movies, talk movies, and argue movies with a particular focus on film culture in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Josh. And I'm Claire. And today we are going to be talking about our favorite Christmas films. But first, we're going to recap some of the film offerings in the area uh, this coming week, since we are a DC film podcast specifically. Um, Claire, what do we have coming up? So at Sun Cinema, which is in Mount Pleasant, you can watch Home Alone on the 21st and the 23rd at 8 p.m. At AFI Silver Spring in Silver Spring, Maryland, you can watch Die Hard on the 20th, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at 9.20 p.m. They are also showing It's a Wonderful Life all week from the 18th through the 24th, and uh, the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol from the 19th through the 22nd, uh, all at noon. Yeah, and you can always uh, check out the calendar for the AFI uh, at their website, uh, the AFI Silver uh, and they have a calendar showing all the Christmas and non-Christmas films coming up. And Sun Cinema also has an Instagram account that you can follow. They release their calendars, and you can track it that way uh, through, through Instagram at Sun Cinema. Uh, and then further afield, the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia, is showing It's a Wonderful Life as well uh, from the 19th to the 21st at 6.45 p.m. And then even further afield, the great uh, Old Greenbelt Theater in mm. Greenbelt, Maryland, it's actually, I think we missed the boat on their Christmas offerings, but they are showing a really uh, great documentary called The Eagle Huntress, which is about a young Mongolian girl that learns to hunt with an eagle. So, I mean... <laughs> not a not, Christmas movie. But, yeah, but it's still good. And, you know, you're going to be Christmased out after a certain <laughs> point, depending on what your threshold is. You might be down for a documentary about Mongolian eagle huntress, I'm just saying. I'm already Christmased out, so I might actually check that out. Yeah, so, no, it's worth it. And, again, if you've never been to the Greenbelt Theater, it's a beautiful... Um, like 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 mid century theater. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a great place to see a movie. So. Yeah. And before we delve into our two choices for the best Christmas film, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the ones that didn't make the cut, the good ones that didn't make the cut, the mm-hmm. other Christmas films that we like. Although then at the end of today's podcast, we are also going to be talking about a few of the Christmas films that we think are bad, that we think are overrated, that we think do not deserve to be classics, uh, and hopefully you know provoke some people into fits of rage because, you know, that's, in, that's a good holiday. <laughs> you know, get one in the holiday spirit of arguing about movies. I think because both Claire and I are film snobs, we definitely tried to choose things that were a little bit further afield, although I have to say my choice ended up being a little bit more conventional. Um, in the last week's podcast, when we talked about Gremlins, I proclaimed that I was going to talk about Christmas in Connecticut. But I changed my mind and switched to a different movie for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we do have a Twitter handle, at DC Screens, and there's a lot of people that we follow and people that we read who mostly talk about classic films. There's a lot of, like, you know, the hashtag TCM party. There's a lot of, there's a whole community of people out there who are into classic films. And as I was exploring those, I found that actually Christmas in Connecticut has a much bigger following and is kind of better known than I thought it was. Um, And I actually came across an article that was really great and totally comprehensive um, by a really uh, excellent film writer named Cameron Howard. She is on Twitter at uh, Blonde at the Film, and she also has a blog by the same name, Blonde at the Film. And she has a great comprehensive article that has you know great text. She pulled out some great stills, great clips, great uh, gifs, gifs, gifs. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm team gif. Yeah. Uh, great gifts of even like like some bloopers from the shooting of the movie. So you see like Barbara Stanwyck wow. in a blooper, which bloopers from classic films are pretty hard to come by. And it was a it's a it's a great like uh, kind of chronological treatment of the entire movie. 
It's entirely easy to follow and easy to understand regardless of whether you've seen the film or not. You'll enjoy reading it either way. And after having read it, I realized that if I was going to talk about this movie, I was just going to end up regurgitating that article mm. because it was so good and because it was such a complete treatment. So I decided to go in a different direction um, and choose. Uh, we're just going to say what we chose or we're going to hold no, off. No, we're going to hold off. We're going to hold. Well, right. they already know what I chose because it was in the last podcast, but you you can make it a surprise. Uh, well, then, no, I know it shouldn't be a surprise. It's the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol with George so C. Scott. So obscure. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's no, it's not obscure at all. It's just, it's. I think it's the best version of that movie. Yeah. And then, Claire, you chose. Uh, so I chose Black Christmas. From 1974? Yeah, 10 years before years, yeah. But both older movies. We don't, we, it, don't, yeah. we don't mess around with those new, no. quote-unquote, classics. Looking at you, Elf. Overrated movie. I'm a little, a little taste of where we're going with this. Elf is not a good movie. forgot about Elf. Elf is, Elf is funny, though. It's it's, not, it has it's, some funny it's, moments. It's, when he's going up the escalator, and he just All right, all right, all right. We're getting derailed here. <laughs> okay. So... The, some of my favorite Christmas films that didn't make this list, of course, uh, number one would have to be A Christmas Story with Ralphie. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's, and it's, you know, I think they're still doing 24 Hours of A Christmas Story uh, on TBS, mm-hmm. which I hope they do because that's always a, a good thing. It's a great to, one, a good yeah. thing to do. We need to, like, you know, uh, kick back with your family and have a few beers and have some turkey sandwiches and just like, you know, watch a movie they don't have to pay that attention right. much attention to because you've seen it so many times. And what do we know about uh, a Christmas story that has to do with our topic today? Did you figure this out in your research, in your in your exhaustive preparation for this Is there a leg podcast? lamp in something? Is there a leg lamp? <laughs> Is there leg a leg lamp? lamp in Black Christmas? I bet they sell the leg lamp. You just bought the little stuffed... Um, I did. I bought a stuffed gizmo that sings and dances. I should, I should get a leg lamp as part of my holiday decorations. I hadn't thought about that. I actually have wanted a leg lamp for quite a while, but yeah, yeah that would be the one. God, that has to be out there somewhere. We're going to find it. <laughs> what is what is the tie-in? Bob Clark. The oh, director, the director of Black Christmas. Is also the director of A Christmas Story. Is he really? Yep. He directed both of them. Two Christmas wow. classics. One... A slasher film and one a wholesome, uh, nostalgia fueled look at Indiana in the late 30s, early 40s. Gene Shepard, great Midwestern wit. If you've never read anything or read about Gene Shepard beyond A Christmas Story, uh, great, great writer, great radio personality. Definitely look him up and kind of follow up on um, some of the other work that he did. And then the other thing that I think, uh, you know, other choices that we could have gone with. I mean, most of the standard classics, I think, are legitimately good movies that deserve to be revisited. It's a Wonderful Life, which mm-hmm. obviously is playing at a couple different theaters in this area. Still a great film. Better than most people who only know it by its reputation probably think it's going to be. It's actually very, I won't say it's psychologically complex, but it's definitely not just, you know, pure nostalgia fuel. Like, it's it's it has some darker moments. It has some interesting things to say about the nature of growing up, the nature of growing up in a small town, the nature of uh, kind of American life generally. Uh, it's a nice time capsule of that ni- of that time period, 1946. Of course, there's lots of great Christmas TV specials that we couldn't get into. Oh. Like How the Grinch the Stole Office, Christmas. The Office BBC Christmas special. That's not where I was going at all, but sure, yeah, that's also that's also a good one. Yeah, I mean, we could have we taken this in lots of different directions. What else would be some of the ones that you... Oh, uh, you mean movies or TV shows? Whatever. TV specials. So I guess Christmas movies for me that didn't make the cut. And, and I should just say that I'm not a big Christmas person or Christmas movie person. I, I'm the kind of type of person who waits all year for Halloween season and then I get really excited for Halloween movies and then I'm really sad when Halloween is over because that means that Christmas movies are now going to start, which I don't like. But anyway, um, if I did have to choose one, I would choose probably the only one. And it's not even that great. It's not the greatest Christmas movie, but it's one that I would watch almost every year, which is Scrooged. Um, which is almost like your your Christmas Carol that you're choosing. It's just with Bill Murray, which is why I like it so much. Um, and that's probably 
the the one that didn't make the cut along with Die Hard because it's it's a Christmas movie but it's not a Christmas movie which also, makes it more enjoyable. Also, Die Hard's kind of become the go to alternative right. Christmas choice. Like, lots of people are talking about it. As I know a Christmas movies, so I don't feel like we have anything to add about that. No, definitely not. I definitely was going to bring up how Scrooge is an overrated movie in my discussion of a Christmas Carol, but um, I kind of figured you would. <laughs> But, but I, I will defend it. Um, again, it's not the best movie, but I really do like that film. And every year, I mean, I didn't watch it every year, but I watched it quite often. So that would be the one that didn't make the cut for me. I think that we should start with your choice. Okay. Since it comes chronologically first. Mm. 1974's Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. Mm -hmm. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright... Sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. I think, I don't know how you want to preface it, but I mean, it is a definitely a Christmas film. It's right mm -hmm. there in the title. It takes place uh, really on the right before Christmas break mm -hmm. uh, in a sorority house on a unnamed college campus. Right, unnamed college campus. All we know is the name of the street, which is uh, Six Belmont. Six Belmont Street. Yeah, we don't know where this is. Did you catch the name of the town at least? No, I don't know if they said. Did they say the it's town? It's on the side of the police car. It's Bedford, like Bedford. Is it really? Yeah, so it is almost like a little reference to It's a Wonderful Life. There, wow. like a very grim reference to it. Wow. Um, just like the references in Gremlins. So mm -hmm. apparently, every Christmas horror film thinks it needs to like take a dig at It's a Wonderful Life for right. some reason. Anyway, what is it that makes this the favorite Christmas film of yours? Um, again, so I'm, I really like horror films and I really like slasher films. And I think this is the Christmas movie that is the most... I mean, unless we're talking about like Silent, Silent Night, Deadly Night or something. Silent but Night, I think... Deadly Night is... A, well, Silent Night, Bloody Night oh, is right. a great movie. Silent, Silent Night, Deadly Night is a stupid... Well, this is the, that's what the Santa I... slasher film. Okay, okay, right. Whatever. Anyway, but Black Christmas, I think, is... Is just the most enjoyable for me because it seems like it should be a Halloween movie. It's just set in Christmas, and it did it did influence Halloween, the movie. Yeah, this um, is like the this is before John Carpenter's Halloween. Like this is one of the first right slasher, slasher films. films. Right, actually feels kind of like an American Giallo film, except there's very yeah, little blood. And it's it got, does. It's got John Saxon in it as the cop, who I think also plays the cop in uh, Tenebre or one of one of Argento's oh, famous okay. ones. You know, yeah, uh, Margot Kidder. Of course, this was uh, what four years before she starred as Lois Lane. Um, the guy from 2001 A Space Odyssey. I can't even pronounce his name, but Kier 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 Duella. Kier Duella. Kier. Are Which, you sure that you're was that right? Kier 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 Kier, Kier. Duella. Okay, we could just go on. Yeah. And that was in 1968. So he had already been Dave, and now mm -hmm. he is the boyfriend in this Peter. film. He's Peter, and he's a very. I think uh, he has these very like boyish this boyish look that makes him seem somewhat innocent in this movie um until he becomes a suspect because of the whole abortion thing that's going on with him and his girlfriend again. yeah until he um, until he smashes that piano with oh i know stand. well i mean she shouldn't have honestly she should not have told him the night before his recital that she was pregnant and didn't want to have a baby Doesn't that's he, a that's a 
dick move on her on Jess's part. Okay, so I chose this film because once again it was one of the first slasher films, uh, very important in terms of horror flicks and and its significance and its impact on future films. Um, but also because it, it's just one of it has one of my favorite tropes in there, and it's the first one to do this in in film, which is. Uh, the whole the call is coming from inside the house kind of thing. And we see this later in When a Stranger Calls with Carol Kane, who was in Scrooged. Um, but Carol Kane is a babysitter in When a Stranger Calls. This is 1979. And um, mm -hmm. and we see again the, the whole call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. And the first 20 minutes of When a Stranger Calls are probably this some of the scariest 20 minutes in any movie I've ever seen. How, I don't remember the first 20 minutes. That's, that's, that's the urban legend. Like it started out as a short film where it's just the urban legend of the babysitter where the call is coming in from. This is mm -hmm. the same urban legend that influenced Black Christmas as mm -hmm. well. It's just yeah. that When a Stranger Calls is almost explicitly an adaptation of the urban legend which had been in circulation for a while. Yeah, and When a Stranger Calls is, is really dark. Like Black Christmas is dark, but I think When a Stranger Calls, um, the two kids that are upstairs in, in the bedroom they're dead. I mean, it's just, it's just really creepy. Murdered, and, and there's like dialogue later that says that they were like torn to pieces. Yeah. It's really it's awful. And, and in, and in black Christmas, you have Janice, the character of Janice, who was also murdered and found in the park dead. Um, but for some reason that doesn't disturb me as much because it's not as gruesome. You don't get a lot of gory details. You don't see her body. It's just kind of, that's true. Them. You don't see, I guess it's well, just, you, they talk about it. Yeah. It's just more yeah. disturbing in when a stranger calls and in black Christmas. Um, and the, the weird thing about black Christmas is, for being one of the first slasher films, there isn't a whole lot of blood. I mean, you you just yeah, you compared little. it to a giallo film, which is or any giallo film which has a lot of blood, and the blood is always very cartoony, especially in Argento red films. Paint. Red, yeah, it's it's almost like Kurosawa or something, right? Um, but it's it's a lot of red, gory paint. I and guess a lot of gratuitous nudity. Yeah, a lot of like young young attractive women getting naked and then being murdered. And this which, one, you don't have that at all. I mean, you're in a sorority house. You don't have a single... It does not feel like a kind of exploitation. No. One of the things I like about the way that the sorority house is portrayed in this movie is that they really do seem like young adults. They don't seem... They're not like, you know... Most most times you see like a this as a setting in a slasher film, it's like usually in the context of like a, just like a straight exploitation mm -hmm. film that's about kind of like sexualizing all the young women and then having right. them killed off one by one. You don't get any of that in this. It's really just... It's it's a nice kind of like uh, one isolated location, which of course creates that suspense of them kind of being trapped in yeah. the house, partly because they think it's the sanctuary, and it turns out not to be. All the characters, despite the fact that we don't spend a whole lot of time with them, seem realistic. They don't seem like uh, caricatures of young, immature people. They right. do seem like relatable adult figures. Yeah, they do. And they seem very authentic. They seem um, intelligent too. They're not they're not ditzy girls that are hanging out. Um, they are each They never do well anything that is like oh, only an idiot would do that. I mean, I guess The I only guess... thing the only thing they do do is just at the end when she is told by the cop to leave the house. She runs upstairs. <laughs> so, because she thinks her friend is still in the that's house. True, that's curly, true. That's true. Curly hairs and glasses girl. Uh, she, Phil. Phil. Phil, which I don't know. Does she... Do we ever see her body? Does she just definitely get killed? Or is it just kind of implied that she's she... She is killed, yeah. I don't know. I don't think we see her body, though. Um, and we definitely don't find the bodies of... Well, we don't... The cops don't God, find Claire that, Claire's body or the, the Mrs. Mac's body. That's such a haunting shot at the end where the cops are still out and it's just like the bodies are still in the end. I know. And we hear the killer's voice. With the oh, kid. I know. And the see, that's... That's the other thing that's Peter, great, that's yeah. great about this movie, and if you haven't seen this movie, we just kind of ruined the ending for the for it. But I mean, basically, um, we don't get any you know nice wrapped up package at the end to say who the killer is. It's still kind of a mystery. This killer is still at large, even though the cops think they've found him. Um, it's a very chilling 
chilling movie, I think, in that there's no resolution. This kind of rich, shadow-drenched imagery lends this film like a sense of impending doom mm -hmm. without a lot of tricks that have now become familiar, without a lot of like obvious kind of chills and zings in the score. Like It's just the setting, despite the fact that the characters clearly are at home there, to us as the audience, it seems like something bad is going to happen, and that's um, that great atmospheric touch is part of what makes it so compelling. I, that's interesting you mentioned atmosphere because when Claire's dad goes to the sorority house, he says he doesn't like the atmosphere. And by yeah. that, he means he doesn't like the decor, the, the raunchy kind of, you know, there's that, there's those series of pictures with the old woman sitting in a rocking chair with a crocheted blanket in her lap. And then the last one, she's flipping off the camera. Yeah, like, um, like a typical college right. poster. Right. Also with the cinematography, I think another interesting thing they do is they use the first person point of view shot for the killer so that whenever the killer is climbing the walls of the sorority house whenever he's about to murder someone or in the process of of attacking someone uh you see it through the first person point of view which i think is really interesting because instead of being in the place of the victims you're put in the place of the serial killer the most interesting shot i think is when he places a doll in claire's lap and starts rocking the chair back and forth and and then you see him watching it's almost like you're watching it you're doing this to her and it's her dead body it's not actually claire that but yeah anyway. the, the image of is it claire mm -hmm. oh, that's creepy yeah she's the first one to die by the way yeah. <laughs> uh with the way that she's killed is the they pull that it was like a plastic bag or mm -hmm. like a garment bag across her face and that was the imagery that was used in the poster i believe too. yeah it was her in the rocking chair uh with the you know with her mouth agape with the plastic pulled tight over her face it's really horrifying and again body's never found by the no, cops. Yeah. By the cops. And that's another cool thing is that we kind of know who is dead and what's going on. Mm -hmm. We know to some extent that the killer's in yeah, we not to some extent, we know that the killer is in the house, but the characters don't, which again is a nice way of making us identify a little bit with the killer. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of the killer being shot in first person, I think there's gotta be there's like a couple films that have done that in certain ways, maybe in like in like noir or something like that. Dark, Dark Passage did Dark it. Passage. Dark I mean, Passage. But of, he wasn't an yeah. yeah, he wasn't a killer. I mean it's Humphrey Bogart. He's a he's a good guy, he's he's escaped from prison. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the it opens with a first person point of view shot, which I think was one of the first movies to do that. If I recall. Yeah, I think like that would have been the genre where people started experimenting with that. Because you see it in um, Robert Montgomery's very great experimental noir, Lady in the Lake. But uh, the idea of having things from the killer's point of view, John Carpenter does that immediately in the opening of Halloween. But I guess That's he kind right. of got it from... And the idea yeah, of, kind of he using a distorted have. lens, it's almost like a fisheye lens mm -hmm. from the killer's perspective. Again, a lot of these things have become almost cliche at this point. Mm -hmm. But Black Christmas... It's not in that first wave of slasher films. It's before that. It's right. before Halloween by a good four or five years. Mm -hmm. So given that Black Christmas, despite the title, is decidedly not a holiday film, do you think it can still be part of a holiday celebration? Like, what, How does this fit into the actual <laughs> Christmas season? Not in my family. I think they would be horrified if I just put on black. Actually, maybe my dad would like it. My mom would probably leave the room because she doesn't like this kind of stuff. But I think it should be. I think it should be something that, that plays alongside of It's a Wonderful Life. I really like this movie a lot. And there's sort of a great subgenre of Christmas horror films, right? For those yeah. of you who don't like um, nice things. That would be me. those of you who just want to crap on hearth and home and santa and reindeer and our lord let's not forget jesus's nativity if you hate good things and you love evil like claire does black christmas might be the film for you um there's a lot of other i mean but we already talked about silent night bloody night mm -hmm. silent night deadly night which is a different film is kind of dumb but it's 
it, it exists. Krampus. Um, Krampus, which I haven't seen. Did you I see haven't it? seen it now. I've seen it. I'm just um, throwing it out there. One of the most. Did, do you remember uh, the late 80s, like 1989 anthology series on HBO? Creep, uh, not Creep Show, Tales from the Crypt. Yes, of course. That, how is that Christmas? There was a Christmas special? There was a Robert Zemeckis did the one where there's evil Santa and the, he, he like, the kid lets him in at the, I don't know, like, huh. it's, it's, it's the only, like, you can find it on YouTube, I'm pretty okay. sure. It's only like a half hour long. It's horrifying because there's okay, an evil murder scene. It's much scarier than Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is the other mm-hmm. Santa slasher film. Mm-hmm. And Silent Night, Bloody Night takes place around Christmas, but it's more of like a psychological thriller. It's a very kind of weird, like almost Victorian ghost okay. story. Actually, Silent Night, Blood Night, the atmosphere reminds me a lot of Black Christmas in many ways. Another thing I liked about Black Christmas, just to wrap it up, is that we never do find out what the killer's real motivations are. Yeah. I kept waiting for the backstory that explains With Agnes like, what and Billy? Happening. What the yeah. hell is going on? It's cool because we, even though we're placed in the perspective of the killer at the start, once we get immersed in the story... We're in that same place of really not knowing what's going on, and yeah. the, the film never gives us some kind of flashback that explains everything. It's a very ambiguous ending, and we're left to be totally in the dark about what's going on psychologically, which even in a great, great film, which is almost like the template for all slasher films, of course, Psycho, mm. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, we get that very clumsy scene at the end where the psychiatrist just kind of moses in. He's like, let me explain to you what you just saw. Yeah. Which, you know, is kind of a famously, like, ham-fisted moment in an otherwise great film. Well, and you get Norman Bates's voiceover. You mm-hmm. get his... his that, that's a nice know. moment that kind of brings us back into right. what's great about that movie. But we never get any of that kind of exposition, that clumsy exposition in Black Christmas. It's all atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. all suspense. And then as soon as you think you're safe, you're not, and the movie's over. You're never safe in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> which is also great. <laughs> But yeah, that is my recommendation for a Christmas film. I think you should go watch it. If you haven't already, now you know the whole plot. So Yeah. So 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 don't listen to this podcast. Go watch <laughs> it now and then come back and listen to it later. Right. Now it'll still hold up. It's still a great movie. It's Christmas. A time for celebration. A time of goodwill to all men. All that is, except one. Those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Ebenezer Scrooge, a man whose contempt for others... Mr. Cratchit! ...is matched only by his greed and lust for wealth. Christmas comes for once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But Scrooge is about to be taught a lesson he'll never forget. You will be haunted by three spirits. I think I'd rather not. So my choice is actually 1984's made-for-TV version of A Christmas Carol with the great George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. This is a movie that I watched almost every year when I was a kid, especially like we taped it off uh, TBS or TNT, whichever station it was originally aired on. I used to watch it every Christmas. It seemed a lot longer and a lot more kind of epic in scale when I was a child, but it still holds up very well, primarily because George C. Scott is a genius. Yeah. He's just a great actor. He makes it look so easy. He has this, like, gravitas. He makes the evolution of Scrooge from wretched miser into a likable person seem realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, it doesn't seem jarring. Like, I think he's likable enough in kind of an asshole-type way in the beginning, even though he's a bad person. He has a kind of wit to him in the way he carries himself. He kind of relishes screwing over his economic enemies. He kind of relishes telling off the people who are soliciting charitable donations. So he's kind of a likable 
well, not likable, but a kind of like we can at least appreciate his wit in the first, you know, act of the movie where we're seeing him as the Scrooge, mm-hmm. like as the miser. And he seems very warm and loving in the last act of the movie where he's you know, now transformed into uh, the man who you know keeps Christmas in his heart better than other any right. other man. It's so well photographed and it really does have the kind of rich, um, almost again, kind of Victorian Gothic atmosphere for a made for television movie. It's yeah. really, really uh, excellent filmmaking. Right. And just a word about George C. Scott. I just want to say, I didn't realize until you mentioned it that that was George C. Scott. Cause I also grew up watching this movie almost every year alongside something like Scrooge. Um, and I, it wasn't until, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties that I really got into George C. Scott and started appreciating his films like the changeling from 1980, Patton, of course, uh, The Exorcist 3, and I didn't realize growing up as a kid who this guy was that was playing Ebenezer Scrooge, so it's interesting going back now and realizing who that is um, and what a great job he did. So Yeah, and the other thing that makes this film successful is that, I mean, it has a, both the, the, the director and the writer have a pretty impressive pedigree. Hmm. It's directed by Clive Donner, who did a couple different um, made-for-television films. I think he did a, a made-for-television Oliver Twist with George C. Scott as well. Oh, wow. But before that, he was kind of part of sort of the British version of the new wave in the 60s. He directed uh, What's New Pussycat with Peter O'Toole. He directed The Caretaker, which was based on a fairly well-known Harold Pinter play. Nicholas Roeg, the the great uh, filmmaker of Walkabout and Mm -hmm. another great horror film, um, Don't Look Now. Uh, He was a cinematographer for The Caretaker. And then the writer is this guy, Roger uh, Herson, H-I-R-S-O-N, which I had to go look him up because I... Watching this film and then going back and reading the original Dickens novella, I realized how many great lines and great moments are actually original to the screenplay. Like, I was just kind of assumed that they were in the Charles because a lot of the uh, a lot of the dialogue is lift, lifted word for word mm-hmm. from the from the original Dickens text. I thought most of this that's where it came from. But actually, some of the best moments, especially the moments um, that are really touching between Scrooge and his nephew uh, when he sees. Uh, his nephew's wife, who at that point he's never met, kind of making fun of him behind his back while the girl's of Christmas present is visiting. And then he goes and apologizes and kind of hangs out with them after mm-hmm. the spirits have visited him. Um, that whole sequence, all of that stuff is written by Herson. And the, the tight as a drum thing. The tight, the tight as a drum <laughs> yeah. thing, yeah. If the, if the clue is tight not, as the not answer is a drum. Not strings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, I, I just almost assumed that that came from Dickens and doesn't. Yeah, it's pretty um, clever. Yeah, so... Great uh, writing. Yeah, Roger Harrison, uh, he started out, cut his teeth as a writer on the very, very challenging medium of live televised theater, which we could have a whole separate conversation about. So Playhouse 90, Armstrong, Armstrong Circle Theater. For those of you who don't know, there was, especially in kind of the so-called golden age of television, uh, 50s and early 60s, uh, live television was a big deal. People are trying to bring it back with, like, you know, Hairspray and Peter mm. Pan, like, good luck with that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, these were famously, you know, it, it was, there was no delay. Like, if they screwed up, the mm. whole audience saw it. And there's some, if you if you can look online for some great anecdotes about disastrous live television moments. But he wrote a lot of this material, including an adaptation, I believe, of uh, The Long March, the William Styron novella. Uh, and then he also wrote um, the book, not the lyrics, but the book for the Broadway show Pippin, uh, which had just had a recent successful revival a few years ago and won a Tony for um, Best uh, best revive, revive, Musical Revival or something like that. Uh, so both of these guys working in this, you know, some, sometimes denigrated field of made-for-television movies actually both have pretty impressive CV. And I think that's 
combine combine those two with George C. Scott in the lead and you have the recipe for, I think, the best version of Christmas Carol, hands down. Well, and going back to, to just the impressive characters and, and actors here, we, Bob Cratchit is, paid, is played by uh, the photographer from The Omen who gets decapitated in The Omen. Did you yeah. recognize him? And also Robert Reese, uh, who plays Fred. I didn't, I, I kept watching this. Like, I know this man. I know this man's voice. He was the sheriff of Rottingham in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Good catch. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I, was, I, I knew him from some other stuff. I didn't, I didn't make that connection. Right, yet. right. Tracy Ullman's love interest, who was, who her character's name was Latrine. Remember, you can, she changed her name. It used to be Shithouse. We can cut all this out. But no, <laughs> I no, just no, really love that good. movie. It's all, <laughs> all coming back to me now. It's been a while since I've gone back and watched Men, Men in Tights. I watched that movie so many times growing up. <laughs> Apparently. Um, <laughs> there's some other versions, so many other versions, obviously, of Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. I think my second choice would be the one that's showing at the AFI uh, next the week. The 1951? Yep, which was released in Britain as Scrooge and released in the United States as Christmas Carol. So sometimes you see it with both titles. Mm. But it's the Elster Sims one. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge. That one's pretty good. I went back and watched uh, some parts of the 1970 Scrooge musical with Albert Finney. Wow. I advise against it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't, do it. Don't go there. And he plays, uh, again, it's a musical, but he plays Scrooge as a very kind of cartoonish, um, over-the-top, almost like uh, sort of ogre figure. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol with Michael Caine apparently is kind of a, I don't remember this movie at all. I think oh, I saw I do. it in the theater. Oh, you do? Yeah. Is, it, is it good? Is it, it was all right. Yeah. Because yeah, right. they're showing that the AFI yeah. next weekend as it well. It wasn't dark enough for me. <laughs> okay. Um, that is the other thing. It's like that when I went back and read the Dickens novella, like it's kind of like jokey not jokey but it's clearly meant to be a little bit lighthearted, a little bit humorous it's there's a lot of kind of really terrible uh puns that dickens made mm. that i didn't know were in there like the last paragraph of the of the novella he talks about uh scrooge not being visited or not having any more dealings with spirits and then there's some joke that like he was on the like the the absolute temperance train like you know no more spirits like no more oh. like, jesus Christ. like that's a terrible fucking pun right so I actually think that I'm going to be heretical here. I think that the, the 1984 Christmas Carol is the best version, and I include Charles Dickens' original book. I think it's better than the original. Charles Dickens is a great writer, but I feel like Christmas Carol is, you know, kind of overrated as a piece of writing. It's yeah, a great I, story, but I don't know if it's a great text. Sure, and I think I think what I like about this this made for made for TV movie. I mean, it's pretty dark when I rewatched it as it an really adult. Feels like a ghost story. It really does. In the first half. Yeah, and especially Jacob Marley, how he has that God, that headband so tying that. around to like cover up the rigor mortis because when he when he takes off the headband, his jaw just drops. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only way to keep his his jaw up after since he's dead is to tie that little head thing around his head. That's so scary. The way he moans and wails oh and rattles his chains. Like chain, it's, oh my God, the it's chains. Scary. So, Terrifying. The, the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come is pretty scary too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was I agree. Really, uh, um, and <laughs> my, um, uh, my mom has a, uh, a collection of these kind of Anna Lee figurines that she's been accumulating uh, over the last decade and a half or probably two decades. And now she has the entire set of Scrooge and the ghosts. And so we have, it's a very weird Christmas decoration to have. We have like the, the figure of death, like holding a tombstone. Like it, we used to just have that, like out of context, anything else. No. People would be like, what? What is that? He's How not, he's not pointing. Decoration? He's not. No, he's finger. holding up. He's holding okay. up Ebenezer Scrooge's tomb okay. or great uh, headstone rather. Um, but yeah, and I think that uh, uh, it, just the atmosphere and the photography, working on a relatively small budget, surely uh, it really, it, even though, even the very uh, wayfish 
uh, tiny chin. Oh my god, almost yeah. like way over the face. It's like it's so pale. <laughs> the makeup, yeah. Eyes, yeah. It's still. It, I mean, and it's only an hour and a half. Like I remember it being mm-hmm. like almost like multi-part or something when I was a kid. But it's uh, it's right. just very well made, very sharp, very entertaining. I think it is a true family film in the sense that any I mean, it might be too scary for little kids. But you it's can, definitely heartfelt, and it's very it's very it's um, heartfelt, and it's it's if you if you want a more traditional christmas film than i don't know black christmas uh this is a good choice and it's interesting you know the more i think about it people especially sort of pundits around this time of year like to complain about the so-called war on christmas and about our culture kind of taking out uh these explicitly christian elements uh from christmas and you know taking jesus christ out of christmas Mm -hmm. if you want to trace that back like a Christmas Carol. This is the beginning of the yeah. secularization of Christmas. Like pretty I, much, yeah. There is yeah. no Jesus in this film. You, there's a. It's just about become self improvement, becoming a better person. Yeah, it's it's a very culturally Christian kind of moralistic right. text. And they talk about heaven and they talk about God a little bit. Or I think they actually the ones just talk about heaven, um, like that. You know, I will, I swear by heaven and things like that. Mm. And you go back into the original Charles Dickens text. There's never anything about Jesus or anything that's explicitly Christian at all. Now, this is almost eclipsed. The nativity story itself as the one christmas story that we all have in common so right. if you want to talk about the de-christianization of the christmas season you're gonna put a little bit of that blame on charles dickens doorstep yeah and the only thing that they did or do credit, is depending on your point of view right the only thing they did do is they have jacob marley saying that and this is not explicitly christian it's more catholic than anything but he says my penance is to come around and tell you that you're going to be visited by these three ghosts yeah, because you can still because yeah. you can still be saved basically like there's still yeah, hope so it's for a, you. It's a very kind of the, theology right kind of Christian moralizing. You need to be a good person right. so that you won't suffer in the afterlife, but right. not anything beyond that. Right. And it's not like Jacob Marley's in hell. He's just a ghost that has to. He's in purgatory. <laughs> He's in purgatory, which I don't think the Church of England believes in. But you know, again, I, again, I don't think any of this. And they don't. It's Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think um, going back to the character of Scrooge and how he is, he is definitely, uh, he goes from that transformation from unlikable miser, although witty, to very likable changed man who like you said keeps christmas better than any man i think the reason why we're able to sympathize with the character of scrooge is because we go back and we see uh how he grew up right and his father abandoned or neglected him and he was this bookworm who didn't really have too many friends and i feel like he would have been a nicer man and grown up to be a better person if he just maybe had some therapy some some of the i don't know at some point um but he grew up to be this bitter person and he chose work over you know the person that he loved and you i think to it sympathize was just this... with him by seeing by the, seeing his past yeah by seeing his past right right um, and also even by seeing the way that he lives by himself and i love yeah. the atmosphere of the of when we actually see him in his home and you know the the, the face of jacob marley starts to appear above the fireplace we sympathize with him because we can see that in some ways he's like taking, he's taking things out on himself, right? Like he's not like living in some kind of gilded palace while right. the poor outside suffer. Like his indifference is a way of protecting himself. And that, you know, that all, because in order to root for him at the end when he's a changed man, we have to kind of forgive him for being a miser for most of his life. And I think that's actually pretty easy once we see his origins. Yeah. That's a kind of, character development, the kind of richness of the character that I don't think comes across in a lot of the other film versions. And again, I don't even know if it necessarily comes across as strongly in the original text. So Because George C. Scott wasn't in the original text. George C. Scott is 
He's amazing. Scrooge, yeah. But I mean, honestly, even his face looks lighter after he goes through that transformation. He starts celebrating mm-hmm. Christmas. Reactive. It's it's like his it's like he has a different face. It's just lit up. It's um, so, and it's, it's amazing. So, it's so subtle. He's amazing. Um, this I would put this up among his best performances, along with Doctor Strangelove. And um, the Changeling, Patton, hello. The Changeling, of course, the, and Patton. My, and, one of my favorite horror films from 1980. Yeah, the Changeling is great. All right, so I want to wrap this up. Oh, yeah. lightning round. So lightning round, I already talked about how I think that the 1986-88 uh, Bill Murray Scrooged is overrated. To segue from my choice to our least favorite Christmas films, I go, go back and watch it. Mm-hmm. Take your nostalgia goggles off. I know, I know. Bill yeah. Murray is just doing the same performance throughout. He doesn't change it a whole. Like, even when he's supposed no, to be you're bad right. in the beginning, he just seems like a nice guy. Like He's just kind of there. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. It's not. It's There's some nice, amusing moments, but other, I, the thing that highlighted the movie for me is Bobcat Goldthwait, so. No, I think I go generally easy on Bill Murray. Like, even What About Bob is not, like, the best movie. It's it's just, I love that movie, and and. You can tell that Robert, that Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray did not get along, and there was this tension between them. But I just I love that movie too. Not a Christmas movie, but anyway. Yeah, I think that Bill Murray could definitely pull off some kind of American version of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now mm, he that's has the range necessary, but in that movie, it's just like one note of him just mm-hmm. kind of caddish, not wisecrack, wisecrack, more like more like Peter Bankman from Ghostbusters throughout yeah. the entire thing. And it, there's no change. And even when we get to the end, where they're all kind of singing at the end of. The, it kind of falls flat. Like it's, it just doesn't work. Okay, going back from Scrooge, what are the other ones that you would not include? Well, I mentioned that I don't appreciate Elf. I got, like I get the whole new, new classic status stuff doesn't doesn't fly with me. I think it's not that good of a movie. It's not that funny. It's all right. I'm gonna reiterate that I am not a big fan of Christmas films. Have I said that already? I'm gonna say that yeah, again. I think you said it. Um, so I actually, I really hate Love Actually. That God, that is such a bad movie. It's horrible, and I really tried to like it. I had seen it, and I hated it. Then I spoke to a few people who, whose film taste I actually, you know, respect, and I gave it another shot. And I wait, people whose film taste you respect liked Love Actually. Yeah, so I know. Lost. I hope you lost. I did, I did, because I watched it again. I gave it another shot, and it was awful. I wanted to barf. It was terrible. Um, I also am not a huge fan of Miracle on 34th Street. It's a little bit too um, precious for me. It's, yeah, it's just a little that. too, yeah. you know, it's it's not Black Christmas. It's definitely a children's film, right? Yeah, like it's I guess not, so. It's not, it's not even just a wonderful life. Like, right. It, it's, it's a movie for kids. No, but, um, and I did, I wanted to hate Black, uh, Black Christmas, White Christmas. I wanted to hate White Christmas when I saw it because I just didn't think I would like a movie uh, I don't know why I didn't think I would like this movie, but I actually really loved it. So that would that would somehow be in, I guess, the first category. I, think I just that now got that Black Christmas is a play on White, White Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> I just didn't fucking realize that. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Black Christmas, I love White Christmas, man. Like, it's, it's, great. Like, it's a great. great musical. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. Um, um, I, I was going to say that one of my least favorite is uh, the Jim Carrey live action version of when the how the Grinch stole Christmas because I love the original TV special uh, Boris Karloff yeah and it's one of my you know these huge like most kids I, basically I learned to read by reading Dr. Seuss and it's just like a loud terrible mess like it's just it's unwatchable almost it's just it's um how do you ruin the Grinch I mean I remember memorizing like every who down in Whoville loved Christmas a lot but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not yeah it's <laughs> special effects heavy and makeup effects heavy kind of kids films kind of like the um Johnny Depp version of Willy Wonka. Oh, Willy Wonka, right. Or Alice in Wonderland, even. Yeah, I mean, basically, like, people trying to be Tim Burton, mm-hmm. although I think Tim Burton is now the bad version of what people trying to be Tim Burton were, like, 15 years. Speaking of which, we could also mention, 
it's a good movie. It's actually kind of slight when you see it at Nightmare Before Christmas. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, the animation is great, though. Uh, but also, Tim Burton had very little to do with it. What? Can I, I just I just thought, so I recently watched The Critic, um, the series, uh, yeah, The Critic, and there's this series. one part where he, he looks at coming attractions. This is John Lovitz as a cartoon, and he's a movie critic named Jay Sherman. And when he's talking about coming attractions, he says, we are also going to be looking at The Nightmare Before Hanukkah. And then it's just like they're in Hanukkah land instead of... Anyway, it was just... That is was the thing great. about Nightmare Before Christmas that many other people have pointed out as well, that in the different holiday, it's all Western Gentile holidays. I know. There's yeah. no Hanukkah town. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. There's no, um, there's no Eadville, like it's, you know. Right, yeah. Anyway, Christmas films, they are, they exist. What else do we want to say? <laughs> they exist. Christmas films, they exist. I think we should just end it there. Christmas films, yeah. they exist. So those are our choices, and you can, you can find them both without much trouble. I actually think, at least as of this recording, they are both available, uh, questionably, questionable legality, but you can both find them both on YouTube. YouTube, right. I'll watch them both on YouTube. Me too, yeah. And, and I think it would be interesting to hear what the audience uh, thinks of, what are their favorite Christmas films, any we missed, or the Christmas films that they hate. And you can tweet to us if you want at DC Screens, because yeah. um, we're curious us, to know. If you, if you want to pick a fight, yeah, at DC Screens, <laughs> um, let us know how you feel about yeah. Christmas cinema. And we're going we're gonna to exit here on one of my favorite Christmas musical television moments. Uh, which is when Bing Crosby and David Bowie got together and sang Little Drummer Boy. Um, and of course, we're going on. Was this the, in White Christmas? Was this in the White Christmas? Movie? No, this was this was much later. This <laughs> is like the, yeah, this is like in the seventies. It was a very interesting pairing of a classic kind of fifties pop star with this you know this very transgressive seventies mm -hmm. rock star, and of course uh, David Bowie died at the beginning of what has turned out to be a generally terrible year. Worst year ever. Uh, so going on a year uh, anniversary of his death. Um, but we are gonna we're gonna peace out now. We will see you all back here in 2017, which will hopefully be a better year than this one. Yeah. Uh, so for DC Screens, I'm Josh. And I'm Claire. And have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. To give all the love.